0: Uh, Please keep your Bibles open to the passage on Deuteronomy chapter 6, that's what we're looking at this morning, chapter 6, that's on page uh, 178, it's the type of passage that you could get uh, four or five sermons out of, Uh, so I've struggled a little bit this week trying to get the word count down, so I'll just let you know, give you a heads up now that the the sermon might go for a little bit more than 25 minutes, but uh, I'll try to keep it less than 30 there, Uh, but Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse page 178, let's pray again as we come to God's word. Our Lord God, help us to be people who want to hear your word, to listen carefully, to take your words to heart, so that we do not forget that you are the Lord, our God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, we've heard testimony interviews over the last few weeks of uh, people listening to the Lord God speak through his word in different contexts. And how old were you when you first heard about Jesus? Who taught you? Were you as young as Lisa in Sunday school? Older, perhaps like Jackie, who heard about Jesus through school scripture. Uh, Maybe perhaps you were like Robert, who learned about Jesus more clearly in his adult years. And as we dig into Deuteronomy chapter 6, let's consider what listening to God looks like in practice and and how we can teach each other across the generations to, to listen to God in his word. And from the beginning of the Bible, we know that God designed a place for people to live and gave instructions on the best way to live there. But as the first people to live there, Adam and Eve, in effect, said to God, Yeah, we hear what you're saying, but nah, we won't listen. The first yeah, nah, in history. And they gave up the privilege of enjoying God's good design for their lives. And the rest of the Bible is a search for how God's people can once again be living in a place in God's place and enjoy the blessings of his rule and that search leads us to three promises God made to an obscure man with no kids called Abraham promises of a great nation living in God's place under God's blessed rule and to cut a long story short Abraham did have a kid in his old age and his descendants became a great nation one promise fulfilled And in a mighty show of power, God redeemed them from slavery in Egypt and brought them to a land for them to possess where they could live under the blessings of God's rule, promise two and three about to be fulfilled. And on the cusp of entering this promised land, God gives instructions through a series of sermons Moses gives about the best way to live in the land. The book of Deuteronomy is about those instructions but it is more than just a book of instructions. Moses' first sermon from chapters 1 to 3 was a bit of a history lesson that we looked at a a month ago about how God had provided for his people in the past. And sadly, how the people continued to say, yeah, God, we hear you, but no, we're not going to listen. In chapters 4 and 5, we started looking at Moses' second sermon. And Kevin reminded us how we see the image of fire was a symbol of God's presence tangible but not contained. Last week we saw how God gave his people ten commandments that revealed the righteousness of God. In today's passage, Moses' second sermon continues as he begins to unpack the ten commandments in more detail. In chapters 6 to 11 that we begin with today act as a bit of a bridge into the detailed instructions that are to follow in chapters 12 to 26. And the passage begins with a call to obedience in verse 1 to 3. This is what it says. These are the commands, the decrees and laws. Uh, The Lord God, your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess so that you, your children and your children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all these decrees and commands that I give you and so that you may enjoy long life. Hear, O Israel, and be careful to obey so that it may go well with you and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your fathers, promised you. And This is the start of a series of commands that are woven into this passage. Hear, love, impress, talk, tie, write, all these commands. Verse 4 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. And this statement and command is one of the most significant symbols of Judaism today. Devout Jews recite these two verses twice each day as as part of their prayers. Now here, O Israel, is the beginning. And having already been addressed as Israel in verse 3 and again here in verse 4, it is a reminder from the beginning of their unique identity as a covenant people of God. Just like we might use a family name to identify a particular group with a unique identity, so too does the name Israel identify them as God's treasured possession. And as chapter 7 verse 6 says, God has chosen you out of all the people on the face of the earth to be his people, his treasured possession. To remind them that it was an act of grace towards them, he goes on to say in chapter 7, the Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other people. For you were the fewest of all people. But it was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath he swore to your ancestors. Their identity is tied up with God's identity. And the, the Lord our God, it says, in verse 4, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Now most times in the Old Testament, uh, each time it uses the word one, it is, is to identify the unity within God's character. The Lord is one. He is not divided within himself. But there are, however, some instances where the word identifies more with the word unique. As in only or alone, there is no other. And it's the essence of what the Israelites expressed after the Exodus and the crossing of the Red Sea when they burst out in song. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? And in chapter 435, Moses had already stated that besides him, there is no other. Acknowledge and take to heart this day that the Lord is God in heaven above And on the earth below, there is no other. A key concern in verses 6 to 19 is about whether the people would remain devoted to the Lord, their God, of whom there is no other. So while it might might seem that verse 4 is about the internal unity of God's character as one, the thrust of the passage is suggesting that it is a cry of allegiance, a slogan, if you like, about showing undivided loyalty and devotion to the Lord their God, which is the essence of verse 5. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. It's hard not to break out in song when you read that, isn't it? (laughs) And up until this point, Moses had already spoken of the need for people as the lesser to fear God who is the greater. But here the language of love for the Lord God begins to become increasingly important. And this response of love was possible because God first loved them. He had made promises to their ancestors. He had redeemed them from slavery. He was leading them into the promised land to live under the blessings of his rule. Exclusive love for the Lord God includes loving from the heart, as the language uses here, the deepest inner place in our lives, our emotions and our decision-making. To love God with our soul includes a commitment to the Lord God to the, to the point of death, preferring God above all else, including life itself. And the word strength is best captured by the word resources. And this can include both our physical strength and our capacity as well as our economic and, and social resources. As someone once told me, everything we own is either an idol or a tool. Now, obedience wasn't meant to be simply about an outward external performance, just turning up on Sundays. It was to be an all embracing love for God that came from deep within the heart, the very centre of our being, and overflowing into every area of our lives. All of life, disciples. Of the Lord God, but they couldn't obey all the commandments if they didn't know who they were obeying, or even what to obey. Which is what verse six picks up. Uh, six, uh, verse six picks up on the pragmatics of obedience. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. The Lord's people were called to be always aware of the words of the Lord their God. And you hear some people say that, oh, the relationship with God, is a, it's a personal thing. It's just a personal thing. Yes, that's true. It should be a deeply personal thing affecting the very core of your being. But it's more than just a personal thing, according to verse 7. Verse 7 says, impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. The very basic level, that loving devotion to the Lord is a family matter. It's intergenerational. and Moses was not the only teacher in Israel, but every parent was to be a teacher as well. And extending it into our wider family here on Sundays, in one sense it reminds us that we are all called to be teachers of the word by utilising different opportunities for instruction. Certainly our church may hold a particular view about the the role of women in the pulpit, but it doesn't mean that there is no role for women to be involved in helping one another impress the word of God on each other's hearts. Let's not focus on what we cannot do, but focus on what we can. And every member of the church, men and women alike, can live out the reality of verse 7 to 9 through what we talk about with one another. And God has given this congregation over 50 50 children and youth. Five years ago, two or three. But God has given this congregation at this point in time, at this point in history, over 50 children and youth. And together we have a responsibility to impress the word of God on their hearts. To pray for them, to support the kids' church leaders... To be open to serving as leaders ourselves, just like people did with Lisa all those years ago. Over 20 years ago, I was at a Bible college with a guy who had a passion for teaching kids about the Bible. He also happened to be very good with puppets. And he started the ministry we know as Quizworks. Good friend. And over the last 20 years, I've seen the ministry of Quizworks reach children not only here in the inner west, but extending to different countries around the world. And one way to live out the reality of verse 7 in one sense is to support the ministry of Quizworks. And Quizworks has a celebration night coming up on the 2nd of September from 5.30, including dinner, as I understand. And as Chrissy is a member of our congregation and works for Quizworks, I want to encourage as many people as possible to attend and celebrate the work that God is doing serving the children, the next generation. I want 10 rows of pews to be filled up with people from St Thomas's. It's an afternoon, early evening thing. So make sure that you set that date aside. It's something that we can do together across the generations to play our part in supporting the work of impressing the word of God on all our hearts, young and old alike. But our commitment to the Lord our God is also to be expressed in the wider public sphere as well. Verse 8 says, Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Whether this is to be taken literally or not is unclear. Some people in history have done that. But what it is drawing out here is that the, the people of God are to live distinctive lives, saturated by the word of God. The word of God that reminds them of what God has done for them and is committed to a response of loving obedience. Practising what verse 7 to 9 enables us to experience verse 6, which in turn enables us to live out verse 5. But it's easier said than done. At one level we profess to love the Lord our God with our heart, soul and strength. But at a functional level we are tempted to build our lives around other values, money, success, status, family. We may say that our greatest fear is that our kids will walk away from the faith. But we act as if our greatest fear for our kids is actually their grades, that they don't pass the selective school test that they might not be popular, that they might have a mental illness or depression. Yes, these things are important to consider, but they are not the greatest fear we should have for our children. Within the home itself. A possible application that I've been challenged to think about in our home is to reflect on what pictures take pride of place in my home. Do the family portraits take the most prominent place? Where are the Bible verses? Where are the Bible verses in my home? In my younger years, I used to have Bible verses everywhere (laughs) in the place that I lived. I've lost a a little bit of that passion, and I think I need to revisit that saturation of the word of God in my home. It's interesting, during election time, households and shop front windows display the occupant's allegiance to a particular political party. There's big posters in people's front yards, shop windows. What is the last thing you see when you leave your home? And what is the first thing you see when you return? Do our own homes display our allegiance? Christ. What changes do we need to make in our lives to let the word of God saturate its way through into our very households? Both what we see and what we hear. And it seems that verse 4 to 9 is written because of what is anticipated in verses 10 to 19, the challenges and the tests of obedience. For although the ancient promise that is on the verge of being fulfilled will be a source of great joy as they enter into the promised land, it will also be a source of great challenge and temptation, as the passage next week will reveal quite clearly. The crucible of testing circumstances awaits them. In verse 10 to 12 is one, in one, long, is, is one long sentence with a poetic flavour that ends with a dramatic twist at the end. Let me read it for you. When the Lord your God brings you into the land he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, to give you a land with large flourishing cities that you did not build, houses filled with all kinds of good things you did not provide, wells you did not dig. And vineyards and olive groves you did not plant. Then, when you eat and are satisfied, be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Do not forget the Lord. Do not forget the Lord. Israel faces the temptation that all of us face when things are provided for us. As Lisa mentioned in her testimony, a childlike faith doesn't stay childlike as it is tested through the crucibles of life. And there are many crucibles ahead for our children. Crucibles continue to be a part of all of our lives. And for the Israelites, the Lord God warns of the crucibles that are to come. We could dig into them if we had more time. But verse 14, do not follow other gods, the gods of the people around you. Verse 16, do not put the Lord your God to the test. It is ironic that while in the desert, the test of loyalty was based on what they didn't have. Entering the promised land, the test of loyalty was based on what they did have. The crucibles of life can include times of challenge as well as times of blessing. And while in need, we, we make demands of God to prove his commitment to us. And while in plenty, we forget his provision. So as we reflect on our lives, we recognise the ways we have all fallen short of loving the Lord God with all our heart, soul and mind where we've made demands of God to prove his commitment, when we've forgotten to thank God for his provision. But we can take heart that Jesus didn't fall short like we do. That the perfect obedience of Jesus was demonstrated. He did obey the Lord God with all his heart, and all his soul and his strength. And this perfect obedience of Jesus began to be demonstrated when Jesus was tested for the 40 days in the wilderness just after he was baptised. Jesus quoted words from this very passage, verse 13 and 15, to express perfect obedience to God. We can be thankful that Jesus also went on to lay down his life through death on the cross as a perfect sacrifice to deal with the judgement of our own that our own falling short deserved and his status as perfection is transferred across to us to make us acceptable in God's sight and it brings us great assurance. That is our only hope of entering into the heavenly promised land for all who trust in Jesus, can, can enjoy as the ultimate blessing in life, entering into the heavenly promised land for those who trust in Jesus. But if the people didn't forget, if the people didn't forget when they went into the promised land, then verse 20 might occur occur as as it recalls the basis of their obedience. In the future, verse 20 there, when your son asks you, what is the meaning of the stipulations, decrees and laws the Lord our God has commanded you? Now such a question implies a, a healthy family relationships that fulfills the commandment about honoring your father and mother. And last week we learnt the commandments with our fingers in terms of numbers. So here's a test for you. What, commandment is, what number commandment is to honour your father and your mother? Anyone? Five. Yes, five. Okay, number five. I'm not sure how you went during the week to remember all the different numbers and things like that. Um, we'll see how you go this week. But the pastoral side of Moses begins to shine out in these words. the assumption is that when faced with competing cultures, lifestyle choices will need to be made that reflect the people have not forgotten the Lord their God. A child already instructed instructed in obedience might ask the why question, as children always do. It's not unlike some of your children, some of our children. Why don't we skip church and play soccer or netball or go to a party or a production on Sunday mornings? Why can't we do that? Just this past week, it was my turn to have the soccer conversation about Sunday mornings. No soccer on a Sunday morning. We we found a midweek competition instead. The question is why? And instead of focusing on the laws themselves, Moses gives a four-sentence explanation on the opening of the Ten Commandments, summarising four defining moments of their history. Look at the way he answers the question. Tell him. He says in verse 21, We were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt, but the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Before our eyes, the Lord sent signs and wonders, great and terrible, on Egypt and Pharaoh and his whole household. But he brought us out from there to bring us in and give us the land that he promised on oath to our ancestors. And in light of the, this, the question is then addressed specifically in verse 24, the Lord commanded us to obey all these decrees and to fear the Lord our God so that we might always prosper and be kept alive as is the case today. And if we are careful to obey all this law before the Lord our God as he has commanded us, that will be our righteousness. And ultimately in answering the son's question, the focus is not on the laws themselves. The focus is on the who God is and what he has done for them who they are as God's people. Out of that identity flows stipulations, decrees and laws that are to govern in the way that they trust and obey. And their righteousness is ultimately a relationship that is in response to all that the Lord God has done. So as we continue to work our way through Deuteronomy, let's remember that it isn't primarily just a list of rules, but a reminder that we are one of God's people who are called to trust and obey. Making Sunday morning a priority and the culture we develop here when we gather together is a big part of that. That's what we do. We do that because we are God's covenant people. That's who we are. We make it a priority. Let's continue to model to one another what it means to listen to the Lord God by loving the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul and with all our strength so that we can model that to the generation that follows. Let me pray for us all. Heavenly Father, may we be a people who love you with all our heart and all our soul and all our strength. Please enable us to impress your word on our hearts and the hearts of the next generation. May we talk about your word when we sit at home, as we walk outside, travel in our cars, when we lie down and when we get up. May your word saturate our lives. As we live in the prosperity of Australia, help us not to forget that you are Lord. That we are called to serve you only and not to be consumed by the enticing yet destructive values of the culture around us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, Is it the Creed, I think? Yes.